Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind and how it works and mental illness and mental health. I'm with Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Now, emotions can be wonderful things, can't they? You feel happy, you feel excited, you love someone, they can be powerful. Sometimes emotions take us over. They can be good if you're happy and excited, not so good if you're angry, scared or disgusted. If you're angry and your emotions take over, you might shout, throw a saucepan or even hit someone. If you're scared and your emotions take over, you might freeze and be unable to deal with the threat. So is it possible to learn how to control your emotions? Can you do it without becoming like those emotionally repressed, stiff upper lip British men portrayed in books and films like The Remains of the Day and one I saw uh, just earlier this week, Living. Ian, uh, you often make the point that you that we think we are rational, but that emotions are usually more in the driver's seat than we realise. Are we, are we inevitably their prisoner? Well, we hope the bloke in the driver's seat can behave responsibly. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot of crashes. Yeah. Emotions are fast and they're strong. And we discussed on many occasions, emotions first, thought second. Yeah. But the whole process of development from little kitty up to adult is one, I would suggest, of learning, come to how or what the process is, of control over emotions, of, of moderating emotional responses to make them appropriate to the environments in which we work. Yes. Anyone got any three-year-olds listening to their life at the moment? I love three-year-olds. Mm. Bag of emotion, (laughs) bag of desire, bag of wants, cries, tears, some words, lashing out. Marvellous, the immature brain at work. Mm. (laughs) Kind of knows what it wants, can express emotionally rather than just verbally. And it often works. It certainly drives the environment to respond. Yeah. But the process of learning, of maturation, of growing is that that emotionality, which is well developed at age three, (laughs) hopefully is very different by five and is different by nine and is different by 14 and is different by, Mm. you know, know, there's a whole brain development process then, which is really the overriding of that emotionality or or that bringing that emotionality into some kind of appropriate balance or context. And I guess there's a spectrum, isn't there, of how emotional or how readily we show our emotions that we are between people. Right. So you started this with a really interesting thing, I think, which is emotional control. Is it emotional repression? Yes. Do we all want to become a stiff, upper-lipped English person? Just this week, I was ranting and raving about how I really wish I was Italian. (laughs) I really wish I'd grown up in a society where the expression of everyday emotions in some Latin culture, tears, emotion, joy, Mm. was just more normal. Might be a bit of a roller coaster. Oh, but it's so much more fun. <laughs> but but is it more of a roller coaster? I that's know. a you know, I think that's the Anglo-Celtic view. Oh God, could you imagine living that every day? What a drama every day. So glad we don't do that. We've coped so much better by not. I don't think so. I actually think that emotional expression every day allows the appropriate expression and then the appropriate moderation. Whereas the tendency in Anglo-Saxon cultures, I think, is towards the repression. Emotionality is something to be repressed, to be resisted, well, to be I denied. Guess, I guess, do you agree that there's two things, two spectrums, if you like? One, how emotional we are. 
Yes. And two, how willing we are to express that emotion. So if you're if you're very emotional, but you repress it all, or you might be not that emotional or middling, but very happy to express whatever you're feeling. So one of the great myths in cross-cultural psychiatry was that those people who expressed all their emotions mm. got more anxious, got more depressed. You know, this emotionality on the outside must be bad. Until we started having worldwide mental health surveys. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not true. Not true. Not true. A lot of those cultures that um, say they've got it under control, Manchester, England, you know, the rates of emotional distress are actually very high. Mm. So, you know, the repression of emotion or the suppression or this kind of having it under control, apparent control, isn't really under control at all. You know, it's a kind of dam buster kind of problem. Yeah. <laughs> really. The build up of unexpressed emotion is very problematic. It doesn't protect you from anything. Mm. In fact, it may put you at increased risk of losing the plot. <laughs> you know, you've so lost the capacity to express normally distressing emotions. <laughs> now, this is one of the things about the world I'm in when people talk about controlling anxiety or depression. I think people must often misinterpret what I'm saying on what my professional groups are saying is you should suppress your emotions. You shouldn't get anxious. You shouldn't get depressed. You shouldn't, you know, like... Because you've lost control of it, you need to tie yeah, it down, yeah. put it in chains, lock it up so that it doesn't blow up again yeah. in your face. So the appropriate expression of emotions and and the modelling of that and the societal kind of acceptance of that. I, I was reminded of this recently in stage of my life, funerals, you mm. know, and contrast of where are we allowed to express emotion in particular mm. ways? Do we have particular rites of passage? Does our society have agreed ways of communal expression of grief? Or we don't want to be like those cultures that cry all the time and throw themselves on the ground and or have prolonged rituals. I'm going, why not? <laughs> Actually, that might help us resolve much quicker yeah. how we really feel about the situation and the appropriate expression of grief that follows from the ending of really important relationships in our life mm. rather than the, nope, Mustn't cry, must get upset. I find funerals particularly hard. I find myself in tears at funerals regularly. <laughs> yeah, right. What are you upset about? What are you upset about? I go, well, I am. Yeah, good. I am. But I, but I kind of think it's a, it's a bit out of kilter with what a lot of other people have. Well, how, I mean, I think a lot holding of people, it all together. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what are the dangers before we get into how we can control an overabundance of particularly negative emotions like anger? What are the dangers of holding too tightly, of being too in control of your dangers? Are you going to uh, blow? Yeah. Or alternatively, you're just going to have all this stress inside you and die young? Oh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> there's a bit of evidence for that. Is there? Yeah. Uh, not so popular in research these days, but there were was some significant research back in the 1970s and 1980s about exactly that kills you. <laughs> mm. Because it's not not there. You may not be showing it to the world, yeah. but on the inside, it's bubbling. It's yeah. out there, which is one of the good things about expressed emotion, mm. like actually the release valve. Yeah. If you look at the physiology of that, people's distress goes down through the expression of emotion. Yeah, right, right. And most of us kind of know that. Well, any emotion, even anger? Like I think we've discussed before in our episode on anger that letting your anger out is a, a bit of a flawed theory. You know, oh, it's gone now. 
Or not? Yes, I do remember the angry episode. I was saying, okay, in some situations we are angry. Yeah, we are. What we do as a consequence of that isn't always smart. Mm. But to pretend you can't be angry. <laughs> right. Or anger is always proof that you are flawed. Yeah. I don't think that is true. Okay. So Just in the, the range of emotions that are there, anger is one, mm. you know, protective, you know, being provoked by whatever. So we've got a range of emotions, anger mm. being one. What you do as a consequence of that matters, you know, sadness, joy. We've got an emotional repertoire, an emotional palette. I guess I'm thinking back because I saw the Bill Nye film Living, which is wonderful, and I think it might be, I might be wrong about this, written by the same guy who wrote Remains of the Day, the screenplay anyway, and it's about, well, they both are about, repressed English men, and in this one, I don't think he's giving too much away. It's a wonderful film. In Living, Bill Nye is a repressed, emotionally repressed, very proper English civil servant who always does the right thing. Then he realises he's dying and suddenly starts, title of the film, living, living. <laughs> and gets more access to his emotional life. So he, he, I mean, you know, in the film, he's come alive. I don't know if it's as stark as that in real life. I think it's great. Mm. I think being alive is being emotional. Yeah. Humans, by their nature and quality of life, I think is deeply rooted in our emotional lives. Yeah. Far less in our cognitive lives or our sort of structured conceptualization of our life. It's in the pleasures, the desires, the things that happen. Deep emotionality. Yeah. So I'm going emotionality, good. The appropriate expression of that, the appropriate control of that, okay. the appropriate behaviours that flow, that's the learning – well, that's the learning bit. Knowing your own emotional tone, you, you alluded to this earlier on, we have different set points. We have different kind of – some people are just much more emotional. <laughs> Tears all the time, mm. enjoy all the time. Others, not quite so there. Yeah. So recognising where your own emotional tone is, where your own emotional baseline is, that's important. How, what's a good way of doing that? Just observing yourself. Is observing yourself, yeah, in – Relation to others, mm. in comparison to others. Yeah. The sort of people who cry in every film. Yeah, right. Person, people who express joy in every minor thing. Their emotional tone moves much more, much more reactive, responsive to the mm. every day. Others may recognize, well, really, I don't, know, I don't know what they're all crying about in this film. You know, and also recognize they don't necessarily respond with joy or enthusiasm to the same degree as others do. Yeah. Every minor family celebration or every minor mm. success. Just recognising, you know, we're on different emotional okay. planes. So That's let's okay. go through a few specific emotions and how you might learn to control them. Uh, I want to talk about fear, anger, disgust, and also excitement for when you're in a tense negotiation. You might need to control your excitement. But fear, can you learn to be brave? Can you learn to control your fear so that you're capable of doing what needs to be done as the snake slithers towards you or the bear charges you or another scary event occurs. Yes, people do it all the time. Yeah. As you've demonstrated, James, you can get up, anxious person, you can get up and do stand-up comedy. Clearly, you have learnt to control the anxiety about that sort of public performance. Mm. I can stand up and give public speeches. Yeah. You know, public lectures, whatever else. Yes. The fear one's the easiest one because – one can identify the event, one can look at the exposure, kind of controlling one's physiological responses to those particular situations in so, order that you can carry on with the activity. And that by that you mean Pulse deep rate, breathing, breathing, sweating. You can control the physiology. Try to move slowly rather than, you know, jerky, agitated fashion. You can do that. You control 
you can control your body. It's much easier to control your body than it is to control your feeling of fear. You do need it? to throw at the recognition of the signs of it. You have to throw the switch to controlling the physiology of it first. And focus on it. And Slow focus on that. Breathing. Slow the breathing. Sit still. Here I'm going to do what I don't normally do. Mm. Speak slowly. Speak slowly. <laughs> move slowly. Yeah, move slowly, deli- slowly and deliberately. You mentioned one about negotiation. The marvellous uh, – Rumpole of the Bailey, have you ever seen this? Mm-hmm. The marvellous use of the pause. Oh, yeah. Rumpole is a great episode devoted to the theatrical nine, <laughs> how long a pause should be oh, right. to cause an anxiety in the other. <laughs> oh, I see. That's interesting. If you ever see the episode, it's fabulous. And it does a really interesting thing. It breaks up that sort of escalating excitement, interaction, fastening pace. And, and then the Rumpold example transfers the anxiety from the person experiencing it to the other. If you ever find yourself with one of those negotiations, try it sometime. Right. Leave me a long pause. And my mm. final offer is. Mm. And there we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who experienced anxiety during that pause? So there are strategies. And I mean, for all of these emotional states, there are strategies. Anxiety being the easiest one because mm. it's got a physiology that goes with it. It has strategies that can cause yeah. it a reduction in arousal, which permit you to continue with the behavior that you need to do. The physiology is really important. If you can get your, your breathing and, and how your body's moving under control and then try and be in the moment because that sort of fear is all about being in the future and thinking about all the bad things that could happen. And working through that you've done it before. You ever been chucked in a tank full of sharks? I have not. I have. Have you? God, it was not my idea. <laughs> Melbourne Aquarium. Wow. Somebody who really does like me a lot. Hmm. So, Ian, I've got this great gig for you. You get in the tank with the sharks and you do this interview underwater. <laughs> really? I went, you're joking. <laughs> No, but actually, sufficient warning, going the particular process. There's a whole, really? there's a whole set of procedures that go with it. I did it. Wow! I think Were you someone terrified? said I was terrified at the original suggestion. Yeah, but actually, carrying through with the whole thing, which is said in theory, I would have said, "There's no way I'm ever going to do that." Mm. Like I'd say, "There's no way I'm ever going to jump out of a plane." But actually, if I had to walk through the thing for a particular reason, you could set it out in a in a sequence of events in which you could maintain your physiological control over the, the situation so that you could actually do something, which I would not otherwise ever do, which is jump in a tank with a bunch of sharks. Let's move on to what is probably the hardest emotion to control, anger. It often is the hardest to control. Yeah. Partly it's volcanic nature. It's eruptive kind mm. of nature. You know, you've done it. It's taken control of you before you've had a chance uh, to put in place any of the strategies to back off. You know, anger management, you know, the anger management courses, they don't really work that well. The idea is a good one. It's based on the same uh, set of principles we were just discussing in relation to anxiety, trying to work out the situation, trying to work out strategies. The difficulty with anger is that very short time. And if you are a person with a very short fuse, Mm. so you need to know that in advance. Yeah. What are the situations that set you off? What are the style of interactions? And can you moderate that very rapidly escalating arousal and the consequent behaviours? Can you walk out? Can you disengage? Can you not say? Can you not rugby league talk? Can you not throw the first punch? (laughs) Can you not just react? Hard. 
because clearly anger has an inbuilt fast and then actions that flow yeah. often are aimed at the other. <laughs> the most regretted emotion. Why yeah, often the most what often the, then? what yeah. the most often the most harm caused. Mm. So the pattern recognition bit it goes to a really interesting neurobiological kind of point too. Who has are there inbuilt pathways, frontal lobe, other things that are better regulated in some than others? Well, a lot of people are some are- brains set up really. It's fine for other people to say, oh, "I'm very you know, it's easy for me to control my anger." <laughs> are they fortunate? <laughs> So that they're you, wired that way. If you look at all the people in jail because of violent crimes, one of the biggest categories of crime, the big majority of them are because they couldn't control their anger. Very few violent crimes are premeditated. Some are, but not many. M- many majority are when people lost control of their ability to control themselves. And when did lost they control? Were, that's a bit. Who circular. lost control and when did they lose control? Okay. So some things we know c- contribute to that. Alcohol and drug use, you know, dis- yeah, yeah. disinhibiting kind of things. Although they've been in the situation before, in that situation, when they were intoxicated, then they pulled the trigger or they threw the punch or they mm. did. So there's been some active contribution to, to the disinhibition. Yeah. There's also a lot of discussion uh, in many of these settings of what other brain developmental factors have contributed to how some people. So, right. so a mitigate, you know, it's often been used in a lot of discussion where they're mitigating factors for some people in these situations. Did they lit- literally have less mental capacity, less brain capacity to... Is that smaller frontal lobes? So the whole issue about frontal lobe development's age-dependent. Can you really hold a 14-year-old or a 10-year-old criminally responsible? U.S. Supreme Court's argued about this. You know, when, what is the when age the, when, when the, the wiring's not there? The frontal lobes that that can yep. help you inhibit yep. uh, that yep. spontaneous urge to yep. hit someone yep. haven't developed. So it. we all agree, we really shouldn't hold ten-year-olds responsible. Mm. They haven't developed the degree of brain maturation. You get the separate argument. What about twenty-five-year-olds that actually have not developed the same degree of brain maturation as other twenty-five-year-olds? Yep. Are they less responsible, and are they overrepresented in? Jail populations. I would so imagine. lawyers argue about this all the time. Right. There's no easy answer to that question, I might say. Oh. But but it does imply that there are individual, and I would agree, there are individual variations. It's much harder for some people than others because they are wired differently. So, you know, the dispassionate judge that said, well, I would have never done that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe wired a little differently yeah. from the much more impulsive 22-year-old who is different. Mm. So there are... You know, brain substrate sitting behind that degree of control. And anger being the specific example where that kind of debate about the wiring (laughs) is very pertinent. Is my degree of capacity to control my anger the same as your capacity to control your anger? So if you know that at times in your life you have got angry and done something you've regretted, and who hasn't? Like it might not have been hitting someone, it might have just been shouting at someone or saying something nasty or whatever. And, you know, half an hour later you think, oh, why did I say that? It was so stupid. It just made things worse. What should you do to. to First, there's a recognition of what situations, mm. typically in a personal situations or threatening situations. The second thing is can you disengage the process before you throw the first punch? before you say the angry thing, so before the, the behaviour. Yeah, in a very rapid. So putting yourself in a sort of situation, well, if you put yourself in the situation, get out of it. Mm. 
don't don't expose yourself to that situation. Second, if you're in the situation, can you disengage? Can can you actually stop in the middle of the process and allow the emotion to start to reside uh, start to resolve itself again? So let's talk about without the behaviour that's going to cause you all the trouble. Let's talk about domestic situations because this is uh, one where, well, surely every couple must have got angry with each other at some point for relationships really? lasted more than a week. Really? Think? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. So if your partner says something to you that is just wrong and hurtful and false and the thing you want to do most in the world is say something back to them about what a load of crap that was and how, in fact, they're not as holy as they think they are. But you in also tone, know. You had plenty of emotion in that tone. Yeah. Plenty of, man, I'm going yeah. to let this bomb go. Yeah. I wonder what's going to be returned. And you know if you could press pause and walk around the block, just, you know, the world freezes, but you get to walk around the block, you would think, Okay, that's a really bad idea. I'm just going to walk out of the house. That would be much better, and then we'll we can resolve this tomorrow or something. Um, but are you really capable of making that rational decision when, in your mind, he or she has just said something totally unjust that needs to be responded to right now? So most of us bite and regret. Yeah. So the question is, over time, can we learn not to, not to, or not on every occasion, or? at least to take two steps backwards or at least to change the tone because the anger is the kind of tone. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> it is. It's a tone. It's not the word. Can I even draw breath? A... I mean, the walk around the box, great. Can I even draw breath? Can I even give it a moment's thought to Y'all just diffuse? Can I just diffuse some of the hostility? Can I just, mm. even if I'm going to express something of the thought, can I can I wind back? Does it have to be the flamethrower that goes with it? I, here's an admission. I once went for a walk after someone and I had had an argument for two and a half hours. It's a really long walk. I was really, really tired when I got home. Too tired to be angry. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good example. I think I would say I'd find hard myself. But hard often at the start to avoid the situation completely. It but is. after two and a half hours, really? <laughs> Couldn't. One of us have quit. Yeah. No, no, my Earlier. walk was two and a half hours. Oh, oh, good. Yeah. The argument, go, oh, no, oh, thank God. The argument <laughs> was three back. minutes. Oh, okay. If that. But I I wasn't ready to come home until I'd gone walk for two and a half hours. Good. Yeah. That's smart. <laughs> it's tiring. <laughs> <laughs> but I was too tired. Because to... often what people do is go for a walk for five minutes and come back twice as wound up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. I've got my strength back. I'm yeah. going in now hard. Yeah, no. I really know what I want to say now. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You go around thinking. You're just kind of writing your speech in your head as you walk. And go in often with more catastrophic. Yeah. Fix it now or that's it. It's all over. So early warning signs get out of there. Yep. Breathing. Breathe. Disengage. Back and, off. And, and You're not it, backing off. It's, and, and you said something earlier about coming back to actually resolve the problem. Yeah. If you back off, you're not conceding that there's, you know, you're wrong or that there's a, isn't a problem to be dealt with. There is. Yeah. Particularly if you slam the door on the way out. That makes that point very well. <laughs> <laughs> anger, unfortunately. So on our episode of anger, I was justifying. Anger is a justifiable emotion. Anger is a real thing. Mm. But many of the actions that flow cause such damage in our lives. 
Yeah. That we just got to take control of the first bit and wind things down. The source of so much hurt and distress in many of our lives is the action that follows. Not the fact we got angry, but the actions that followed. Mm. So, and it's really hard. I mean, you know, we wouldn't have a lot of the trouble we have in the world if people were able to easily control their anger. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't easy. So I think one of the concessions I'd make is it's not that easy. No. And I hate the way anger management and other things portrayed as an easy thing. Oh, well, you should be able to just do that. But does it get I easier? Can do it. I can do it. If you get in the habit of it, does it get easier? Yes. A little? Well, I think it goes to a point that we make a lot, an awareness about self. Mm. If you're aware that you do and you're aware that certain situations are salient for you, yeah. and if you put yourself in those situations, there's a high risk that that's what will happen. And, and so you have maybe – Two competing narratives going on in your head. One is we're having an argument and I'm right and he or she is wrong. But the other is re- remember how this often goes. So so maybe you're almost stepping outside of yourself. Remember this is a risk situation. You don't want to escalate this. It's almost time to. Yeah, I think that's off. one of those really interesting concepts of oneself as an observer of oneself mm. in real time. Yeah. There should be more of it. <laughs> Yeah. It is. Yeah, I'm in here having the argument, but I'm also here, oh, my God, this can only end badly. This only goes one way. This is in nobody's interest, mine included. Can I moderate my own behavior? And to do that, I need to have the emotional bit under control. Mm. I, 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 I cannot let anger or my raw emotionality actually determine the outcome here. Somebody, that other bit, <laughs> that observer of oneself needs to step in. But you can't really practice, can you? Because you don't get, I mean, hopefully you only get angry every now and again. And so, and as you say, it comes on so suddenly. So it's very hard to train for this. No, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. And then when it happens, you've got to implement the plan. Mm. You've got to think about the plan a lot so that it almost, you're rehearsing it before you get angry. Yeah. I'd suggest most of us in our interpersonal lives have a reasonable number of opportunities. Anger is not that uncommon. Yeah, right. Frustration, maybe maybe lower levels frustration rather so, than raw anger. So then maybe you should actually implement the plan. Think about the plan whenever you're a little bit frustrated. Like don't wait until it's an eight on the anger scale and a full-scale argument. If you've got this plan, think, okay, I'm going to think about this plan. Whenever I'm a little bit frustrated, and I might not have to implement it, but I'm just getting in the habit of thinking about the plan. So we are big advocates here of the habit. Yeah, habits yeah. are great. Yeah, the well, habit good of habit. disengaging, the habit of limiting emotionality, the habit of consciously observing what's going on to try and in real time not go into really bad places. So I want to talk about, we're talking about how we control our emotions. What about in a work-based setting, if you are in one of the caring professions, if you're a psychiatrist, for example, and someone uh, someone's going very badly and you see how much they're suffering, if you're a criminal lawyer and you see uh, some, some clients who are sad, not bad, if you're a, a nurse, if you're a teacher and you see a, a kid who's just, you know, lost and lonely and socially awkward, how, how do we stop ourselves, how do we control our emotions then? Because if you take every one of those problems home with you, probably not going to be that, well, maybe it's helpful a bit. You might be able to think of some solutions, but also you've got to refresh and have a, your own life. Probably the most discussed topic 
in the serious health professions, caring professions, and the professions I'm in is about maintaining connection, but also the appropriate emotional distance. Yes. And being aware of the extent to which you get sucked into some situations that's really hard. Mm. Some things are more salient than others. At times of your life, in different circumstances, you know you are being emotionally drawn in to such a degree <laughs> that is not appropriate. You're not going to be able to mm. care. You're not in the nat- you're not in that kind of relationship with that person. You're assisting that person. Mm. You're not actually entering their life in that way. Whereas act- the normal human re- human response is to be drawn in. So the appropriate emotional distance connection is much discussed yeah. because without discussion, without planning, without thinking, most good people will be overly drawn in <laughs> Yeah, because they have become part of people's lives in meaningful ways. Mm. And the burnout that flows from that repeated exposure is very substantial. So people cannot continue if they haven't been able to learn to find the right distance. Mm. And that's tricky because it's not over-involved and it's not cool and distant. <laughs> It's somewhere in the human response repertoire, but kept under appropriate control, appropriate boundaries, distance, all sorts of words that get dragged into this discussion. So emotionally connected, but at the right distance that's sustainable, appropriate to the situation. Mm, Big challenge. So a lot of people turn out not to be suited to the helping professions because they're overly drawn in. Yeah, right. And they get burnt out. They can do it for 10 minutes and they burn out. Every situation they're in is terrible. What about the opposite? My first job, proper job, as a corporate lawyer, where you had to, you're kind of trained to be dispassionate. Dispassionate. Yeah. (laughs) Don't you love lawyers? No emotions. Is it a requirement in law school? Leave your emotions at the door. (laughs) (laughs) No emotions. People here, please. It did seem to be, did seem to be, help you be good at your job. But I always thought the danger was, Okay, so if you like that, it's useful during the day just to bring a dispassionate problem-solving approach to complex, often very kind of academic problems, although at the end of it there was, you know, real people. Uh, How do you turn back on uh, if you've been doing that for eight hours at five o'clock or more likely 8.30 p.m. (laughs) when you finish work? I think the laws are fascinating. And there's other jobs like that too, of course. There are laws. Laws are an interesting one, though. Mm. Law makes a virtue out of the disconnect between the intellect, the cognition. Yeah, and the emotion. And the emotion, mm. which has always left me just wondering about lawyers. <laughs> 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 and what constitutes a good lawyer? Because yeah. I'm not so sure that that sort of archetype or that 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 myth is really true. I don't know. Who, who do you think are great lawyers, James? I, I, but that concept, I always say to people that come out of courts, that court was terrible. It didn't do this. I go, look. The, the, Law's got nothing to do with how humans behave because it makes this really big separation between the point of the law, the conceptual point, and what's going on in human society. Oh, no, I don't don't agree with that. I think the law is very good at matching uh, the statute books to to what actually is going on with society. Well, no, but hang on, that's a change. Do the statutes have to change? Statutes are changing all the time. Yeah. That's the updating of the law. That isn't by the lawyers themselves. That's well, a whole legislative, that's a whole societal process. No, no, but lawyers are the most involved in that. Are they? At legislative change. Well, they're a big part well, of it. We, well, I think we see the debate across the law, the, what are they called? The black letter lawyers. Mm. We just implement yeah. what the legislature yeah. decided. We have no 
And the activist lawyers who go, hang on a second, (laughs) we're going to adapt the law. Oh, no, I think there is. But but I think the bigger point is if you have a job where it is a virtue to repress your emotionality. There's um, a risk. What what do you need to do to ensure you don't, that doesn't carry on to the rest of your life? Exactly. I, in fact, I got to slightly argue with you. I think James mm, again in in like the criminal maybe depends bits of the law you're in the criminal law and we're not understanding the emotionality of what's going on. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Criminal laws. Yeah, lawyers yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I don't think they actually do do that. I think they're actually trying to deal with the people <laughs> within the confines of the legal system. Yeah, understanding the context of what's happened. In fact, in the other way around, I think in the kind of sentencing idea that as distinct from sentencing being mandatory. It needs to take account. Oh, yeah, of, it no, needs I'm, to take account of context. I, I, yeah. I would put lawyers in the criminal system, well, Special not people. quite in the caring <laughs> professions, but yeah, to an extent. No, they're in the, the system, they, but they are. No, I'm talking more about corporate lawyers and lots of other jobs where, you know, you come and provide that dispassionate approach to a big, complex corporate problem. Look at their many you don't areas. Really see the people at the end. Yeah, listen, why pick on lawyers? You know, there are computer scientists, yeah, there exactly. are mathematicians, there are technical people doing many technical jobs that are not very emotional <laughs> or or they encourage a dispassionate a conceptual yeah. approach yeah. doesn't work really, doesn't work very well at home <laughs> exactly so okay that's part of the society it's part of the job but a recognition that actually in our interpersonal world that approach does not work mm. so people want to, <laughs> people want to, different relationship people coming to you now i'm going to tell you how this relationship really is here's my analysis <laughs> here's my conceptual Take on our how our relationship works. Going really <laughs> mm. completely dispassionate emotionally doesn't work. So I think you're, you're emphasising something important. Our emotionality runs through all of our lives. Yeah, an appropriate balance between the emotionality and, and its role in the richness of our lives, but needing to sit within the context, the conceptual, the rational. So I think maybe the, the take out there is if you have one of those dispassionate jobs, recognise it. And it's got ensure work. that outside work. Don't take it home. Don't take it home. Yeah, as much as you can. Uh, just quickly, disgust. Can you learn to control disgust? You know, fresh dog poo. That sort of very visceral, almost gagging thing. People do. Yeah. People do to various Doctors, degrees. So much, Doctors do. All sorts of people do remarkable Surgeons. things. Just exposure. Some of the harder in terms of smells, in terms of substances, some, some physiological bits of disgust, they're good for, like gagging, they're there for good reasons. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they're built in to keep us away from that stuff. Yeah. You can learn, yes, through the exposure, through control. Some people are much better at it than others. Mm. And poker face, can you learn that? Excitement, tense negotiation, or in fact, a game of poker. It is interesting. That's, that's an interesting one. Because a lot of physiological responses are not easily moderated. Mm. You can't really hide what your pupils are doing. You can't right. really hide the facial expression. You can't really hide the blush. Tell the blush is a great one. You can't really hide the blush in certain things. I love the blush. People, mm. No, 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 and they suddenly blush. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that was true. Those very instantaneous physiological responses, they're not easily right. uh, inhibited. Okay. So they're, they're really interesting. Mm. They, they do tell us the extent to which some of that stuff is just really hardwired. There was a professional poker player in America who whenever, now and again, when he placed a big bet, he always wore a hoodie and he put the hood on and then pulled the drawstrings really tight so he couldn't see his face at all. <laughs> but maybe that in itself was a tell that he was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Excellent uh, example. I've been playing cards is an excellent example. Yeah. And, and games like that. Because some people who are very good at those games, they don't have those responses. Yeah. Whatever's going on the inside is right. not on the outside. Others, they just can't hide it. <laughs> Questions, comments, suggest further topics, please send us an email at mindingyourmind2, numeral 2 at gmail.com. The book version of Minding Your Mind is out. Minding Your Mind is supported by the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health, and Lifeline. Google them. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14.